Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. What is it we're going to keep our life? We have to be willing first to lose our life if we're going to keep our life. Because if we hang on to our life, we lose it. It's weird, isn't it? Kind of an oxymoron, you know? How can you lose something if, you, if you're willing to let it go? I mean, how can you? Well, I believe it was Jim Elliott said that he is no fool who is willing to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. He is no fool who is willing to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. That's what we have when we give our lives to Christ, when we give him everything that we have. You see, he doesn't want part of it. He wants it all. And when we surrender our life to him, then he gives it back to us. He tells us in John chapter 10 that the thief comes for one purpose. You know what that purpose is? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you have, might have life and have it more abundantly. And there are people who go after this life with everything they got, and then they lose it. And the enemy just sits back and laughs. Just this past week, there have been two high-profile people who've lost their lives, who've, who, who decided there was nothing worth living for and took their own life. And I was listening to a statistic that three years ago, the number seven cause of death in America was suicide. It's risen to two. The second cause, major cause of death in our society is suicide. Why do people feel like they have nothing to live for when it seems like they've got everything? It's because they're empty on the inside. Because everything we try to hold on to in this life has no value. It loses its value quickly. How many have ever bought a brand new car, driven it off the lot, and took it back and asked to trade it back in? Anybody? It don't take long for that thing to lose value. I mean, the moment you drive it off the lot, you see $3,000 drop off the price tag when you leave it off the lot because you transferred the title to someone else. You don't even have to drive it, and it loses value. That's how quickly the things of this life lose value. There's nothing worth hanging on to. Nothing. And yet we pour our lives into those things. But there's something that has a greater value. It's the life that Christ gives us. It only increases in value as we add to it. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter uh, 5, he says, or Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't lay up treasures here on earth because they'll get stolen. They will deteriorate. Robbers will take it. You'll lose it. But the things we lay up in heaven, they have eternal value. Several years ago, I heard this song by an Irish, Irish group, and it's called, it, it was called um, The Lumber. And, and what it was about was a man that had, had gone to heaven, and when he got to heaven, he saw all of these mansions and everything. And then when he was given his mansion, it wasn't much of a mansion at all. It was just a little shack. And he asked the question, he says, well, where's my mansion? And the response was, that's all the lumber you sent. You didn't send enough lumber to make a big mansion. Because you spent your value, the things that you spent your, your life on, you just barely got through, through the fire, it says in, in, in Jude, that some will escape as by fire. We will just barely make it in. I don't want to be one of those. 
I don't want to be one of those that Jesse Duplantis talks about. You know, he said, some of us will stand before the Lord, and the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And some of us will stand before the Lord, and he'll just say, well. <laughs> There's more to this life. Now, last week, you know, we presented a question, you know, or, or we made a statement. It's not about me. It's not about me. And this kingdom living isn't about me because we give ourselves away. And the more we give ourselves away, the more we enjoy this life. The happiest people I know who are people who have given themselves away and they have nothing in this life to hang on to. So there's nothing to hold them. They're free. Somebody came to Jesus one day and they said, Master, I'll follow you anywhere. He says, really? You do understand that birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus never promised us anything in this life that we can hold on to. He said, because if you lose this life, you'll gain it. We're talking about eternal things here, things that, that have eternal value or things that this life, you know, in this life, they may not seem like they have much value at all. And so we ask ourselves the question, if it's not about me, then who? If it's not about me, then who? Remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, you know, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, give everything, you sell everything you got, give it all away. That's the one good thing you got to do. That's a good thing, right? I mean, he asked the question, he got the answer. This one thing, got to give it all away. He went away sad. Why? Because he worked hard, man. He had a lot of stuff. It's hard to give it all up. You know, we want to hold on to things. But if we hold on to these things in this life, we'll lose them. It's funny, I was watching last night. It's not funny, it's really sad. But I was watching last night on the Weather Channel. I mean, when there's nothing else on TV to watch but the Weather Channel, you know things are pretty bad. But they were, they were showing these tornadoes and stuff. And they were showing this, these Cat 5 tornadoes that had hit certain places. And I was watching this one in Joplin, Missouri that hit. And it wiped out over, I forget how many, 17 or 1,800 homes. Just flattened them. Left nothing. And, and you're seeing all these homes and everything. And, and, and everything that people had worked for. 158 people lost their lives. And you think, how quickly? How quickly? And I think about the place we call paradise, you know, who a year ago, everybody was flocking to, to Hawaii, to the big island, and now they're running specials. They got some hot deals over there now. Oh, boy. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> but another man had come to Jesus and asked him the same question. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered his question with a question. He said, you're a lawyer. You understand the law. You understand the law of Moses. What does the law say? What does it say? Because he knew that this man depended upon the law for his salvation. And he was seeking to set Jesus up to trap him in something, in his words. And so Jesus just... Wise as he is, just ask him the question, what do you think? He said, well, you know, the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor 
as yourself. Right? And Jesus said, right. You've answered correctly. Well, the man seeking to justify himself then said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? We ask the same question of ourselves sometimes. Who should I be concerned about? It's easy for us to set ourselves in a place of judgment and, and place value on certain people and other people have no value. We pass them all the time. And the Bible says in Hebrews to be careful to entertain angels for some in so doing have entertained angels unaware. We don't know who we're encountering when we're on the street or in Walmart or in other places. Who knows that God might be setting us up for something and we fail the test. Who knows that the man you look into the face that's holding up a sign and says, I will work for food or I'm hungry and homeless and I need help. How many do we pass and we judge them and we say, you know, I wish that person get a job. He looks fit to me. He looks like he can, get, he can work. I don't know why he's standing there. And, and, you know, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Because I know that there's shysters out there. There are people who will drive a, a Mercedes Benz up and then walk behind a Walmart out to a street and stand there with a sign and go back into Mercedes later on and leave. And knock down several hundred dollars in several hours just standing there with a sign that says, I will work for food. We know that there's shysters out there. But in reality, there are real people out there with real problems. Our neighbors. So Jesus asked this man the question, who is it? He asked Jesus, who is, my who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells him, he said, well, there was a certain man, a Jew. Everybody say a Jew. There was a Jewish man who was on his way to Jerusalem one day, and as he was going along, he fell among thieves who beat him and robbed him and stripped him of his clothes, left him half dead, laying on the side of the road. And then, later on, a priest comes by. Now, you would think that if a priest comes by, this preacher, he should be the most compassionate of all people. He should recognize that there's someone there with a problem that needs help. But no, he sees it differently because he sees a body lying on the side of the road. And one of the things that you have to understand that this priest, in his mind, he's thinking there's a dead body. I'm not going to touch it because if I touch it, I'm unclean. And if I'm unclean, i got to go through the rites of purification. I've got to shave my eyebrows and all the hair on my body. I've got to bathe. I've got to go through holy water. I got to do all this stuff. And then I got to wait seven days before I can get back into action. That's what he was facing if he touched a dead body. So this priest, instead of going over to see if he could help this man, did what? He did what a lot of us did do. He walked way on the other side so that he wouldn't have to touch that man and went on his way. Likewise, it says, there was a temple assistant who was a Levite. These were the ones. They didn't actually perform the priestly duties. They set things up for the priest so he could do his job. They were the deacons. So this deacon's coming along, and he sees the man laying on the side of the road, but at least he goes over, takes a look. But then he's like, eee, I think he's dead. I don't want to touch him because if I do, I'm unclean. I don't want to touch that dead body. Shoo. So he goes on. So these two guys that should have been 
compassionate of heart because they were what? They were religious leaders. And religion will do that, won't it? We'll set ourselves up with the law and everything. Well, I adhere to the law. You know, sometimes we ask people the question, are you a good person? Most everybody's going to say, yeah, I'm a good person. I've had people tell me that. You know, they're standing there with a drink of Jack Daniels in their hand. And maybe somebody else's wife on their other hand. And they will tell you, I'm a good person. Or you might have someone who is a good person. I mean, they are a good moral person. They don't smoke, drink, dip or chew or run around with the boys that do. They're good in every respect except one. They don't know Jesus. They're religious. And if you ask them, they will tell you, I keep the commandments. I keep them all. Really? Jesus dealt with people like that. They were religious people. They said they kept the commandments. One of them even asked about divorce. And Jesus said, I want to tell you something. Here's the deal. You think you're a good person. But if you have ever been angry with your brother, enough, with enough anger in your heart that you hate your brother, then you're guilty of murder. What? If you've ever said to yourself, I wish you were dead, you're just as guilty as the man who pulls the trigger. And if you ever looked at a person and judged them and said, you fool, Jesus said, you're in danger of hellfire. Because what? We're not qualified to judge, are we? And then he says, if you have ever looked at a woman and lusted after her in your heart, then you've already committed adultery with her. What? Without ever touching her? Yes. If you undressed her with your eyes, if you looked upon her and you desired to have her outside of the bonds of marriage, then you have already committed adultery in your heart. Men, I would say that pretty well makes every one of us guilty. And women, you don't get away with it either. Because if you ever looked at another man and you lusted after them in your heart, you're just as guilty as if you committed the act with them. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever desired something that someone else had, then you're guilty of committing covetousness. So, and if we've ever done any of those things, if we've even broken one of the commandments, James says if we've broken one, then we're guilty of them all. So these guys that were religious rulers and everything else, that Jesus is talking to this guy, and he's, he's just, he's telling him, I imagine his head is just spinning, you know? He's just thinking, wow, man, he's nailing my hide to the wall because he says, these Jewish guys come along and see another Jewish guy laying in the ditch, and they pass by on the other side and have nothing to do with him. And then comes along a Samaritan. Now, what was a Samaritan? He was one of those guys that everybody looked down upon, especially the, the Jewish race, because the Samaritans were people, they were actually Jewish to some extent, but they had come mixed race with other, other nationalities. And, and what it was, when, when the kingdom was split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and it became Israel and it became Judah, then Jeroboam, who had, had led a revolt against 
Rehoboam and had split the kingdom, took the northern part of the kingdom into a town called Samaria, and there they established and built a temple, and that's where they began to worship Jehovah was in Samaria. And to the Jewish mind, there was only one place that God described and said, this is the place you will worship me. It was in Jerusalem. And so in their mind's eye, these people were the worst of the worst. They were the dregs of society. They wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And that's why when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well who happened to be a Samaritan, and he comes back and his, his, his disciples are questioning him, what were you doing talking to that woman? You see? So there's a lot more to the story than what we can imagine here in our American minds. We don't get it, but they got it. This Samaritan comes along, and, and, and it would have been like in today's society, uh, a radical Muslim coming along, and there's a Jewish guy laying there, a Zionist laying on the side of the road who had been robbed and stripped of his clothes and everything, and he comes along when there was a couple of Christian brothers and a couple of Jewish brothers that passed him by, and they see him laying there, and this Muslim guy comes over, and he ministers to his needs. That was what was happening here. The Samaritan comes, and he sees him laying there. And he goes over, and he takes the time to lovingly pour oil and wine upon him and dress his wounds and, and pick him up and put him on his own donkey and, and take him to the inn and, and get him a place to sleep and food and clothing and everything else. And he says, take care of him. He said, let me pay you for the night and, and I'll pay you for a few days. And if, uh, if I'm delayed in coming back, if there's anything extra that I owe you, I'll pay you when I get back. So he gave him more than enough money to cover that, that the time that, that he had already, been, already spent and, and a few days extra to take care of him. So Jesus asked the lawyer, the religious leader, he says, well, who do you think was his neighbor? I suppose, he said, the one that had compassion upon him, the one who, had, who showed him mercy. And, and Jesus said, yes, now go and do what? Do the same. Now go and do the same. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now that word mercy, it means pity and compassion. It means a pity that is so strong and a compassion is so strong that you're moved to do something about it. You're moved in your heart to do something about it. Now, many of us, all of us here, I would say every one of us who are believers would say that we want to see our family saved. We want to see those around us saved. We want to see the world saved. We want to see lost souls saved. But it's going to take more than just a desire, just a wish that it would happen. I went to a Billy Graham school of evangelism one time. And Billy Graham addressed the, 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 the congregants that were there that day. There were a lot of pastors and, 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 and spiritual leaders that were gathered at this place up in Asheville, North Carolina. And Billy Graham gets up and he says, he said, there's one thing that is needed. If we're ever going to evangelize the world, and he said it won't be done just by changing our, 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 our means of, 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 of carrying the gospel or, or, or just repackaging it. it, it won't be done by, by media. It won't be done. He said, this is the only way that we're ever going to win the lost. It's when we have a broken heart for the lost. 
And our heart breaks enough that it drives us to our knees and our eyes are wet with tears for the lost as we cry out for them. That's the only thing that's going to reach them. Because that's mercy. That's compassion. Do we have that compassion? Who's it about? It's not about us. It's not about us. We think that it is. So many of us come to church for one reason. We want to be comforted. What do babies do? They run to mama for one reason. Why? To be comforted. I remember as a little boy, I would get sick. My daddy would pray for me, and that would help. But with my mother, she would comfort me. You know, she would give me whatever I needed. to, And, and whatever she stuck in my hand, whatever she put in my mouth, it, for some reason, it would bring healing. I don't know, just something about mama. I would get comforted. I wanted to be comforted. And that's what we want. We want to come to church. We want to be, we want the salve applied so we can feel good about ourselves. We want to walk out and, and, and just really feel so good about ourselves. And, you know, but sometimes... Sometimes we need to be told the truth about ourselves. And we need to face the truth about ourselves. And realize that, that there are times in our life when we need to do evaluation. We need to do some introspection and take a good look inside of us and see what our motivation is. See what it is that truly drives us. See what it is that truly compels us. Do we really have a heart for the lost? Do we really care that there are people dying every single day and are, are, are just, just splitting hell wide open? Does that bother you at all? Do you think about it? Does it bother you when, when someone dies that you've been praying for and there's been no change and you wonder where will they spend eternity? Does it break your heart? to see someone bound with drugs and alcohol? Does it break your heart? Or do you just judge them and say, well, the fools, why are they doing such a thing to themselves? When we don't understand how they got there in the first place, does it really matter how they got there? They're there. We've all done foolish things, have we not? I've done foolish things. I've done things I wish I would have never done. I wish they, uh, that, that I could go back and, and, and change some things that I did in my life. I wish I would have had those opportunities to, to change them. But I don't know that if I ever went back and if I had those opportunities uh, without the foreknowledge that I have now, I don't know that things would have been any different. I don't know. But I do know this, that I was lost. And somebody loved me enough to have compassion upon me. Somebody loved me enough to care enough about me to pray for me. I know they were praying for me because I would hear them. Some of you were a part of that prayer circle. Some of you were in my mother's living room praying for me. I know it. And those prayers worked because they were prayers of true caring there were a lot of tears shed on my behalf that brought me to Jesus. Somebody cared enough. They didn't just walk on the other side. Ignore me and hope that things would change in my life. But they prayed. That's what it's going to take. 
We have family members in this church who need someone who will have mercy upon them and compassion upon them and pray for them. Who will see them in their lost and dead state because without Jesus, that's where they are. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And I'll tell you what, when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, anything dead stinks, doesn't it? Anybody ever notice that? My wife and I, we had these, these big yellow hornets that were flying around our house and stuff and getting in our house, and they were scary. They come in and sound like small airplanes. You're just bumping into the walls and stuff. And it freaked my wife out every time one got in and freaked me out too. And we're like, we got to get an exterminator here. So we got an exterminator over, and he says, I don't know where the nest is, but he said, somebody that I know bought them a bug zapper. You know what those things are, the electric things? And they put it outside their house, and he said, it, it just eradicated the whole nest. So I thought, hey, it's worth a try. So I got two of them. You know, two, of, two are better than one. So I thought, we'll try the one, and if, if it doesn't work, I'll put both of them out. I'd have put 15 of them out if it would have helped. But we put this thing out, and a few days later, I go out there, and I walk up to it, and it's just full of bugs. And when I got up close to it, there was an odor. There's a lot of dead stuff around there. I'm glad my dogs couldn't get up to it because they didn't want to wallow in it. You know, sometimes, well, that's another story in itself. We won't go there, but... So I, I get up and, I, and, and so I empty this thing out. It just, it's just really smelly. But what I'm saying is death stinks. And people are in stinky situations in their life. And it seems their life stinks because, because the enemy is just, he set them up. Because what does the thief come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he wants to do. So what he does is he sets us up with a trap. For some of us, it's pleasure. The Bible says in Hebrews that Moses, you know, he, he made a choice to endure the afflictions of God's people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So we understand that there are pleasures in sin for a season. But the Bible also says in Psalm 16 that at thy right hand is fullness of joy and the pleasures forevermore. So we know there's more pleasure at the right hand of God than there is in sin, but Satan is deceitful, and the thing about deceit is it's deceitful, right? <laughs> so deceit is when there's a little bit of truth, just, a little, uh, just enough truth to cover a lie. That's what deceit is. And the Bible says in John, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world hath blinded them lest they believe and receive the gospel and be saved. So people that are lost in sin, this is what's going on. They are blinded to what's going on about them. They don't see it. We see it because we're looking at it from a different perspective, but they are blinded in themselves because they see it. And you might be here this morning, and I'm speaking to you. You might be blinded in your sin. You think that you've got everything under control, that you've got your life to live, that it's your life. You'll live it however you want to, but eh, not true. Your life is not your own. God created you. God gave you an eternal destiny. He gave you a choice as to whether you're going to live life or whether you're just going to get by this bios existence and, 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 and then you're going to lose everything in the end. But the thing of it is, 
That's what Satan wants us to think, that we've got it all under control. When in reality, we don't. We've got nothing in control. We're being controlled by the enemy. But when God begins to unveil things to us, he begins to reveal to us our state. I was talking to someone this morning. I'll never forget when God brought revelation to me, he brought it about this way, okay? I wasn't in church. I've heard people say, well, I was in church and the preacher said something and it spoke to my heart and I ran to the front and I gave my heart to Christ. It didn't happen to me that way. I was in a room full of people and there was so much pot smoke you couldn't see and we're passing the bottle around. And this is, this is the scenario. We're sitting there and there's about 12 or 15 of us and there's a guy sitting on the floor and he makes a statement. And he says, when I was in prison, I sold my soul to the devil for a hit of mescaline. Without even thinking, I said, you're a fool. I would never do that. And the Holy Spirit said to me, fool, that's what you're doing. You haven't said it with your mouth, but you're doing it with your actions. You are a fool because you're selling yourself out. Every day you're selling yourself out to the things of this world. And the enemy is sitting back laughing at you when you're being a fool and you think you're wise. Man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. That was exactly what was going on in my life. I was giving myself away. I was selling my soul to the devil. I was... Losing my soul, trying to hang on to it. And that night, I made a decision. I yielded my soul to him. I gave up my soul. I said, Lord, I'm no longer my own. I give myself to you. And at that moment that I did, God changed everything in my life. All of a sudden, the blinders were taken off. All of a sudden, I saw how much Jesus loved me and how much he gave himself for me and how much he cared for me, and it, it broke my heart. It, it changed me. It, it, it gave me life. It gave me a reason. It gave me hope. And the cool thing is, when I said yes to Jesus, it's as though all of my past was gone, when in reality it was. It was gone. <laughs> you know, it's, it's easy for us to love some people. But for others in our lives, the loving part's a real test of our faith. Anybody ever notice that? It's real easy for us to love some people. When people do what we want them to do, when they're like us, you know, when we have things in, in common, but for some other people, God puts people in our life that are a real test for us. They're, they're, they're like that Samaritan guy, you know, that, that the Jews hated so much, and yet he was the one who had compassion on another. And there's some people in our lives like that, and, and, and we, all, we all know what it's like. But God has called us to have mercy. What is it? It's Elios. It's active pity or compassion, a pity that moves us to action in our lives. And, and we begin to reach out, and we want to touch other people's lives. And, and that's what God has called us to do. And, and that's what Billy Graham says. That there are three things that we have to have in order to evangelize the lost. Hearts that are broken, knees that are bent in prayer, and eyes that are wet with tears and compassion for the lost. 
It isn't about us. It's about the will of God. It's about what God wants for us, not about me. You see, when I yield my life to Jesus, it's not about me anymore. And when I call him Lord, what does it mean? He's, he's master of my life. If he's my Lord, he's master. I mean, I don't control anything anymore. He's in full control, right? So I have to go to him to get my marching orders. I say, Lord, what do you want from me? So he's Lord. So it's not about me anymore. It's about the will of God. It's about loving the things that God loves. It's about wanting to touch the lives that God wants to touch. It's about me getting outside of myself and, and, and having a compassion and love for others. We've got to learn to love others even as we love ourselves. It's hard, isn't it? And that's why Tuck was saying, look into the mirror. How much do you love yourself? How much do you care about yourself? See, if we love our life, we, we, we will give it away. We'll give it to the Lord. We'll, we'll surrender to him. But if we try to hang on to it, we're not in reality hating our life because we don't realize the value that God places upon it, and we lose it. The more we try to hang on to it, the more it slips away from us. If you ever go into a nursing home and walk the halls of a nursing home and talk to people, You'll find some people in the nursing homes who've lived their lives for Christ. They've sold themselves, to, they've given themselves to the Lord, and they're constantly doing it. And they, they still go room to room giving themselves away. But you'll find other people who are very selfish, can only think about themselves. And they have a miserable existence. They got no joy, they got no peace. Because they've lived in blood. They haven't really loved their life. Because if we love our life, we'll give it up. The happiest people that we know are the people that have given up themselves for the kingdom's sake. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them because they were confused like sheep and wandering like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is the word splanchni zomahi. It means to have compassion on or to feel a sense of pity that moves one to action. And then he said to them, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. I got a question for you. This is question and answer time. How many of you have ever got on your knees and you prayed that prayer? Lord, send forth laborers into the field. How many have ever done that? What does the Holy Spirit begin to say to you? What does he say? Are you willing? Will you go? Will you be the first one? Will you be a worker for me? Will you go into my fields? Will you do it? No, Lord, send somebody else. You know, that's not the way it works. You ask us to pray that you would send labors. He says, so I am. I'm sending you. Go. 
Jesus' last command should be our first priority. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's Jesus' commandment to every single one of us. He gave it to his disciples. Last thing he said to them was that in Matthew. The last commandment he gave us, the last time he was seen ascending into heaven, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, why do you stand gazing up into the heavens? Why? The same Jesus that you see ascending to the Father is coming back again in the same manner that you see him go. But you, everybody say you. You, you go into Jerusalem and you shall be filled with power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Samaria. Judea, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. You shall be witnesses. You shall be neighbor to those around you. You, that you part is what gets us, isn't it? You. So it's not about me, then who? Then who? Who's it about? It's about a world that needs Jesus. It's about every one of us being involved in the process. If you can't go, then send. We were watching that, that clip from Called. And what that's about, we, it's, it's a series that we're doing in our life groups called The Calling. Not every one of us are called to go, but every one of us is called to be involved in the process. In Romans chapter 10, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But how shall they hear unless there's a preacher? And how shall there be a preacher unless one is sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So every one of us have a part in the process. We either go or we are involved in sending. That's the way that it works. We have to have a compassion for the things that Jesus cares about. I'm going to make this statement. <laughs> A sure sign that you are maturing as a saint of God is when you no longer come to church to be comforted, but to be challenged. <laughs> you want to be challenged. You're growing up in the things of the Lord. You no longer come for somebody to, 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 to wipe the tears away from your face or, or to make you feel good about yourself. You come because you want to hear a sure word from God. You want to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. You want to become a part of the process of bringing someone to Jesus and helping them grow and mature and become what God wants them to be, helping them fulfill their destiny. That's the responsibility of the five-fold ministry. And every one of us are called to do our part. You see, in the church, there's not just a pastor. Matter of fact, there are quite a few pastors in the church if you want to know the truth because it's the gift and a calling that God places upon us. 
But in the church, there are gifts that God has given to the church. It's first of all, apostles, and then prophets, then evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. And they're all there for one purpose. They're there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what we're here for. That's why we have ETS classes, which means equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. We're here to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We're here to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of him. To understand who you are. To understand the value you have in the kingdom of God. I'm going to say this and I'm going to quit. There's somebody out there that only you have the ability to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I said? There's somebody out there that only you are going to be able to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whether that happens or not is totally up to one person. That's you. Are you willing to be that agent of change that will reach out to that person and tell them the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ? They'll hear you. They'll hear you. Because God will give you the words to say that will bring them to that place of repentance. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, if I say all, all should come to repentance. The Bible tells us that's the reason why Jesus hasn't come yet. The only reason he hasn't come yet is because there's someone else that needs to be reached. And if we're praying and we're crying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, the only thing that's going to bring him any sooner is when that last number is counted. And we all can have a part in that. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I don't want anyone looking around. I just want you to just bow your heads for just a moment in silent prayer. And I want to tell you this one thing, and I want you to let this sink in. You are valuable to God. Jesus died for you. That's how valuable you are. If you were the only person on this earth, Jesus would have still died in your place so that you could be saved. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.